Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 109. This week, we talked to Yaron Galand about peer-to-peer communications with Tali, Google contributes to .NET, and the coolest posters you must see. This episode of the MS Dev Show is brought to you by Infragistics, providing tools and solutions to accelerate design, development, insights, and collaboration for any organization. This week we have Yaron Galand. He is a wicked smart developer. And uh, he, he considers himself an internet plumber. How's it going, Yaron? <laughs> it's going pretty good. I'm trying to get my belt high enough so I look good on the video. <laughs> nice. So <laughs> so I, I sent Yaron, I said, hey, can you just give us like one sentence to introduce yourself? And he sent us his life story. So uh, we don't have enough time in the show for that, unfortunately. But you, suffice it to say, Yaron has done like so many freaking cool things that like nobody has seen. Um, but he's just like, you know, I think the world would just would collapse if not for his code. <laughs> that, that's what I got from the email. <laughs> no, it was awesome. No, your own. No, I, you know, I love your, your own. You're awesome. <laughs> so I, it's, it's a shame that we haven't had you on the show yet. So this is, this is awesome that we have a perfect topic. Oh, okay. And Carl, what do you got going on over there? I see the uh, background's different. Yes. I'm actually at the office today, corporate office. So that's yep. different. Not yep. at home. So okay. you get to see a little bit of a painting behind me. Carl's gone corporate. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> However, we do have an awesome uh, email and winner of Infragistics Ultimate License this week. Uh, it's Sinisa Petkovic. And he says, thank you for making my three-hour daily commute manageable and informative. Keeping up to date with the latest tech is not easy, and podcasts like yours help me spend that time wisely. And now having it on YouTube, I can always replay and take a closer look at some recommendations. Listening in a car or in the gym on the phone is great, but due to space constraints, he has to delete the uh, played episodes. On YouTube, episodes are on demand and ac- accessible from anywhere. One other thing that makes your podcast so great is the sound quality. Please keep up the good work and don't give up. Well, thank you very much for those kind words. We really appreciate it. If you want to get mentioned on the show, uh, send us an email to feedback at msdevshow.com, comment on Facebook, YouTube, or Stitcher. We especially love those five-star iTunes reviews. Yeah. I love those emails. Those are, those are like the greatest email that really does keep us going. I do like, uh, definitely send those, but yeah, definitely give us the, the five-star iTunes reviews. Cause that's what helps other people find the show so that they can also send us emails. So it's kind of, it's a pyramid scheme, really. That's what yeah. this is. And uh, another thing kind of related because it's from Infragistics is they recently put out a very p- kind uh, a blog post about us. Yep. And uh, we just like to remind everybody that they are the exclusive sponsors. We've turned down a bunch of other people because Infragistics has been so nice to us. Yeah. And they're just cool. Like the fact that they wrote that blog post, they retweet a lot of our stuff. Like they've just, they've just been a joy to work with. So it's just an awesome company to work with. So thank you, Infragistics. Okay. So let's, uh, let's jump into the news. So I've read half of these, the second half. So you have to help me on the first half, Carl, (laughs) how not to get fired for a refactoring. So I really like this article because last week we talked about unit testing and Mm -hmm. you know, I, I I know sometimes you think that I'm like anti-unit testing, but uh, this, this kind of told a little bit of a story about how, you know, somebody went in, 
you know, he had to make a code change. And, you know, while he was there, he decided to make life better for everybody and clean up the code. Uh, you know, when it went through QA, they didn't understand that he had done this other refactoring. So they didn't test out the full extent of, you know, the possible impacts that his code could have had. And a money-making site went down when it went to production. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, that's not a good thing. And, you know, he kind of, you know, said, you know, we fixed it. We got it back going. Luckily, I didn't get fired. But he said in retrospective, you know, had before I made these refactoring changes, I would have put some unit tests in place Yep. to make sure that, hey, these tests are, are really testing what's good. They pass before the change. Now I make the change, they still pass. He says that's the biggest lesson that he learned. Yeah, safety so, net. So, you know, just... You're, it's not refactor. I mean, it meant the, the the bug wasn't his refactoring. It sounds like the bug was they didn't have testing. So yeah, you know. Yes. Huh? <laughs> Wait, I'm allowed to do that? I can ship software without tests? Nobody told me this. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. You know, I I actually, you know, I I occasionally listen to. Well, I have to. Like when I'm editing, I have to listen to parts of the show. And uh, I made. What was what was the comment I made? I made the comment that, and I'm surprised nobody emailed us. To be honest, I, I said like, is is unit testing kind of dead? And just huh? because you, yeah, I know. I <laughs> that was my reaction when I heard myself. I'm like, you're an idiot. And I'm like, oh, that's me. Uh, <laughs> so sorry about that. Like, I was, to, I, I'm calling myself out. I, I was just totally wrong on that. I, I, it, I think that there's, there are certain. It seems like there are just certain groups of people or certain disciplines where it's just like that takes too long and i don't know maybe it's just that we've gotten like more polarized at this point it used to be like everybody's like oh maybe maybe and now it's like you have like your own here he's like you have to test like what are you an idiot and then the other side's like oh that's such a hassle like i tried it and it was a failure so like you shouldn't test Um, so maybe maybe we're more more polarized now. i don't know how that like how do you I don't know how you sleep if you release a piece of software you haven't done <laughs> testing on. Like, what does that mean? I mean, we can we can argue about unit testing versus functional testing, blah, 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 blah. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. flavors and it all kind of, you know, end-to-end and yada, yada. But, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm just a horrible dev, but I can't write more than six lines <laughs> of code without having a bug in there someplace. Yeah, I know. Same here. That, <laughs> and I, I had I did have an example like that on the, on the last episode, too, like writing complex code. But you're right, like writing any code, I'm just... Uh, yeah, totally incapable of doing it without a safety net. Yeah, it's like walking across a, a high, you know, high wire. Like, luckily, like you can fall in software, you can fall off a high wire and I guess not die, but you got to climb back up, and that takes a lot of time. Well, and you, you know, and when you get the support requests and the pager goes off at two in the morning, it's like, um, no, yeah. I like well, to sleep. Yeah, yeah. My yeah, son totally. doesn't happen to agree about me needing to sleep, but I think I want to sleep. Yep. Okay. So I've injected a non-news story into the the news stories, and I didn't even send this to you, your own. Actually, okay. let me let me send it over over the uh, magical Skype channel here. But I just got to talk about this. Anybody with the video feed will will like this even better. I'm just so excited about this because these showed up in my office oh, wow. and be, before yeah be, don't look at that link so, yet <laughs> and if you don't have access to video go to the show notes later They're yeah in there. yeah well that'll be in the show notes but so what i'm i'm just um for those that have video like i printed these things out so they have print copies of these. so J- nasa jpl they created these tourism photos or, or posters that are sort of like in this like old style but it's talking about exoplanets so um there's like um hell with that yeah so one that's awesome yeah so pso j318.5-22 where the light nightlife never ends visit the planet with no star and i think this is such a cool poster 
And then there's another one where the grass is always redder on the other side. <laughs> and then there's also this 51 Pegasi B, uh, you know, greetings from your first exoplanet. And these posters are just amazing. But of course, they arrived in my office today because um, I have, you know, a second office here. So now I'm like putting, trying to put pictures up. But of course, JPL today um, released more of these posters. And I think these new ones are the best ones yet. These things so, are so you, I got two questions. One, you need to put the link of the new posters in the show notes. But two, where did you get your posters printed? Oh, that's a yeah. So here I'll tell you exactly how to do this. If you want your if you want the most amazing pictures I've ever seen. Like I'm not like an art guy. Like I I don't know. I'm gorgeous. First of all, I'm colorblind and second of all, like I have I have no taste whatsoever. Except for these things. I don't know what it is, but these things are just the greatest thing I've ever seen. So you go you go to Adorama. Um, so it's like a camera store, right? But they they have Adorama Pics, which is like they, they have a photography section. And I don't remember how I chose them first. Like I've never used them for regular photos, but they actually they do like the greatest job ever on these. It's about uh, it's less than $15 to print them at 16 by 20 size. And what you have to do with these, you actually have to add a white border on the whole outside to get them to the right aspect ratio. Cause again, you print them as uh, 16 by 20. That's my recommendation. I guess you could go bigger, go bigger. Um, maybe I'll even make like a poster or something 16 by 20. And then you could, that's a standard frame size. So just go somewhere buy a 16 by 20 frame. And these things look amazing. Like, you know, uh, they look dude, good on your screen. Go get a hundred times better than a monitor, put it it up on your office wall and that way you can have them all. <laughs> that's the your own method but yeah look at this like jupiter like look at that picture isn't that like the coolest thing you've ever seen it is it is cool. the earth one i really really like and also the mars one is just yeah. trippy i know i know it's such a beautiful sort of 1960s uh yeah it's these are pretty odd these are amazing whoever did so, these really did an amazing job so i don't know so you'll probably see them on a future episode but I, I don't know what I'm going to do, but these have to like fill all my walls like completely somehow. You have to put in a so, request for the 4K monitor. Yeah. I'm telling you. <laughs> I wonder like those, like those fat heads you get, like I wonder if I can just get them like printed like that and just, you know, skin the entire walls. <laughs> uh, anyway, we spent way too much time on this. So um, next story here, New York Times to write better code, read Virginia Woolf. So what this article is talking about is a lot of times, sometimes the best developers that we have really don't have computer science backgrounds. You know, mm -hmm. sometimes they'll come from people who have degrees in other things. Or even, you know, when we do have computer science backgrounds that we're just a little bit more well-rounded, you know, in, in other areas as well. Um, I actually think this is, this is something I've actually talked to people about, and I think it's actually a really big deal that a lot of programmers do not understand that the purpose of code on any non-trivial project, something that's not just, you know, your own personal hack, mm -hmm. its goal in life is to be understandable by someone else. That's why it's there. That's what your goal is. That's why you have things like code reviews and such. It's not to find bugs. It's it's to be able to 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 make sure that the code is something that someone else is going to be able to come along to later and maintain. And that means that as a programmer, you have to sit there and be thinking about what's the story. Mm -hmm that I'm telling with this code? How do I communicate that in a way that someone who doesn't know anything about this and is sold, hey, there's a bug or we need to add a feature or whatever, and you know, it's somewhere in that area, can figure out what the code's doing, how it's working, be able to make changes to it. And so the best devs that I generally run into are ones who have that strong sense of sort of storytelling and understand that that's really what they're doing and they're thinking all the time about how do I structure these APIs in a way that it makes any sense and that it's readable and that it flows. Because otherwise, you know, you can spend lifetimes digging through code. Yeah, code that's it. awesome. Yeah. 
And, and uh, a lot of people uh, who have listened to the show for a while will know uh, Brandon Martinez. He's a really good friend of ours. Um, He's one of the best devs I know. He has a he has a degree in print media, and you know, kind of stumbled his way into being a software developer, and is really one of the best ones I know. So, I mean, that's just another key example that you know sometimes it's just a different way of thinking about the problems. You have more uh, avenues and life experiences to pull upon to just okay. solve the solve problems. Yeah. Okay, moving on. Google is one of the top contributing companies to the open source .NET framework. Yeah, so I, there's a th- this week there was a .NET conference on Channel Nine, and I I didn't catch all of it, but I caught day two where Scott Hanselman was just talking about .NET. Yeah, but if you, ca- if you take John Skeet out of this, then they they don't even show up on the list, right? <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm I'm totally kidding, just because that guy is like yeah. he's so big into .NET. He is, but you know, one of the things that was interesting is he was saying now that .NET is open source, we can actually hook up Power BI to it, and he was yeah. kind of showing like all these graphs that he was able to you know come up with, and a lot of times we see like Microsoft versus Google versus Apple versus you know Facebook whatever, and you know a lot of these companies aren't really you know that much at arms with each other. And you see Google contributing so much to .NET. I mean, it really kind of puts a little bit of perspective in there and kind of gets, helps us tear down these artificial walls that we build up in our, in our minds about these sometimes. Well, I think it's the whole idea of co-opetition, right? We may be competing on one thing, but we'll be cooperating on something else. That's just the nature of the business. Absolutely. Especially like at the dev level. And I've seen that too, like, you know, when, when, when tensions are high with Russia, like, you know, the space agencies are still working hand in hand, right? you know, sort of at that level. So very interesting. I mean, my whole career, honestly, for, because I've done a bunch of standards work is working with all of these companies who are technically yeah. our competitors. And I, I don't know. I mean, usually when the engineers get in a room, we're just engineers in a room. You know what I mean, yeah. yeah, we have our agendas. You always have your agenda, yeah. but it's not like, it's not, there's no personal animus. You're, you're there to get a job done. Yeah, absolutely. I think we all get along. <laughs> uh, okay, speaking of getting along, <laughs> Microsoft WWDC 16 After Party. Who do you think is hosting this? So it's uh, Xamarin and Microsoft <laughs> are running this party. So it is right near uh, the Moscone. So after WWDC, come out and uh, check out Microsoft. <laughs> I just, I got a kick out of this. Who, so all iOS and OS 10 devs are welcome, even if you're not t- attending WWDC. So there's like drinks and food and uh, uh, just a, a good time. And it, it's funny because um, I, I, what did I, what did I read about that? I mean, like, I think people's initial reaction was, you know, like, oh, clever, like you're trying to like steal devs or something. But I think you go back, yeah. back, it goes back to what you were saying, your own, like, this is this is how it is. Like you don't have to be on one side of the or the other. You know, like can't we just get along? And I I just had this conversation at dinner the other night with with some of my coworkers, and I I was just talking, you know, I I, I was talking about Apple, and I said I'm like I don't even see them personally. I don't see them as competitors. Like like really not at all. Um and Back and, and I, <laughs> <laughs> no, I I I really don't see it. I really don't see us as competitors. That's like my opinion. But anyway, this is such a good example of that where like you know hey. The, the stuff that we're good at, why, you know, if you're a dev, like use the stuff that we're good at and, and the stuff that they're good at, like, why wouldn't you? So this is pretty cool. So I'll have that in the show notes so people can check that out if you're going to WWDC. And actually, if you're going to WWDC and you listen to this podcast, like shoot us an email, like that'd be kind of cool to hear from you. Um, and then one more thing, 
Uh, some people might say this is small. Some people might say it's big. Um, I guess it's big news, small news item uh, on our list, though. Uh, SQL 2016 going GA, so tons and tons of new features in there. We actually had an episode on it, uh, I think, a few months ago. I think we covered everything that was new in there. Um, I don't think there's any like major surprises since that episode, but if you go back and listen to it, uh, we talk about really cool. I mean, the there's like insane performance improvements, whole bunch of uh, new features around the the in memory stuff. You know, I don't know. There's there's a lot to be excited about. So I'll have a link to that announcement in the show notes so that people can check that out. Um, but if you're if you're running on SQL Server, definitely check it out. It's available now, so might be worth uh, migrating over. Okay. So let's get to it. So Yaron, what is Tali? Tali is the peer-to-peer web. I mean, that's really what, what the mission of the project's always been. It's trying to figure out how do you build a web where every device has a server built right into it, um, and you're able to communicate directly between those devices. And that turned out to do that, it's actually been a heck of a thing because um, there were just a billion problems that you had to solve. I mean, just to give you a simple example, they'll give you a flavor like how do I authenticate someone, right? If my device is talking directly to them, how, how does that work? And, um, you know, so we had to introduce public keys and you had to be able to issue your own public key. And then you had the question, well, then how did you exchange the public keys? Um, and then you, as you really started thinking about this, um, very quickly, a whole bunch of other very interesting problems kind of showed up. So for example, um, you know, we are used to this blessed world of the cloud, everything's always there. It's always working, right? It's, yep. it's really cool. Um, yeah, and but, I always have connectivity. And Well, and we'll get there in, <laughs> in, in, in about five seconds. But yeah. but yeah, but I mean, the problem is that, you know, if you're running services and the web directly on everything, embedded hardware, phones, tablets, PCs, laptops, whatever, there's going to be lots of times when they're not available. And you needed an app model that was going to work on the web that could sort of and understand that concept, what we call opportunistic connectivity. In other words, you don't assume who you're trying to talk to is actually there. Um, and so therefore we had to throw in, uh, here, here's a mouthful, multi-master replication with eventual consistency, aka CouchDB, um, <laughs> which is a REST-based HTTP protocol that lets you do you know really smart replication so that I can give something to you and you can give it to Carl and then Carl can sync with me and it'll close the circle and we won't end up with a bunch of replicated stuff and we'll be able to detect conflicts and all that stuff. Um, and then, and then from there, we had what you're talking about on the connectivity issue that we ran into pretty quickly, which is um, we had a bunch of customers who were really interested in this problem of they had computation and it needed to work and they wanted to work it on the, on the device, um, but it needed to work no matter what. And lots of times, especially for the industrial people we work with um, or with life safety people and, or the military types, um, they're in environments where you don't have, you don't have internet. Um, or it's very unreliable. And so we've done a ton of work um, to to put in radio to radio communication so that if you're on Android, you know, I can use BLE to discover your handset and I can use Bluetooth to move data. Or if you're on iOS, we use the multi-peer connectivity framework, which is basically sort of a combination of a proprietary version of Bluetooth and a proprietary version of we think Wi-Fi Direct, we're not sure, um, that Apple uses. What sucks, by the way, is that they can't talk to each other. Right, because all the Apple stuff is the sort of proprietary versions. When you're running it, it there's no way to send data to Android yep, yep. or vice versa. Only BLE interoperates, and it's really slow. So you, so you've basically taken like the hardest problem that anybody could possibly think of, and you're like, hmm, that sounds like fun. Well, I, you know, it, I like pain. It's so. By the way, yes, um, especially the radio stuff. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. If I had knew, known how painful that was going to be, I don't know if I would have done the project. But because um, stuff just doesn't work, especially on Android. It, I mean, the bugs that we've run into are just legion um yeah. but 
but what was really what what motivated me to be able to really take on this project and to do it was 99% of what i need already exists mm-hmm. right most of this project is just integrating stuff together and yeah. so i'm like okay if i can just you know steal it all and it's all open source you know everything we're doing it's all MIT licensed um and so that that for me was was a really big deal that that like i'm like i don't have to build all of this from scratch i can actually take all these pieces that already exist and put them together. Yeah. So we should take a step back. I, I want to be, you know, I don't, I don't want to ask you a whole bunch of other questions before all of our listeners like fully understand like right. what we're actually talking about here. Doing? So, so I, you know, I don't know if like the manufacturing examples will, will resonate with everybody. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm trying and I, I should have like done this ahead of time. Uh. Um, but, but I'm just, I'm picturing like, let, let's say that we're, let's say, us three are out camping mm-hmm. and I, I don't know, let's say I'm writing a journal and, and we're in the middle of the woods. There's no connectivity. And, and maybe, maybe Carl is like leaving first, right? Like he's got to go take his kids somewhere. Right. So we have no connectivity, but I write my journal then securely. The, the concept would be like my journal entries would hop over to his phone right. potentially. And then, and then he goes um, you know, to take his kid somewhere and he happens to be somewhere where there's a, a hotspot or all of a sudden he's getting cellular coverage. And then my journal entries could end up syncing with the cloud um, or they could sync with somebody else. And then they right. could ultimately sync with the cloud. And then, you know, your own, you could like be like, well, I have to run to the grocery store. And then you also have connectivity. And, and so these messages are sort of getting it passed around. Now, I assume in this case too, that may, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily want uh, you know, I'm speaking bad things in these journal entries about Carl, so I don't necessarily want him to see him. So I'm guessing he doesn't have to see what they are. So right now, it, it that so that's definitely a feature that we want down the road. Right now, okay, the way, but right now it's all all kind of known by those parties. The idea that we have right now is that when you connect to someone and you authenticate them, you're going to use, as I said, CouchDB, in this case, an implementation of it called Pouch, um, another open source, very cool open source project. Um, and you're going to use that to sync whatever changes are in your databases. And so and right now, that all of the communication is obviously all encrypted and authenticated, right, but right. The, if, as long as you've been authenticated, you can see whatever's in the database. Now, in the long run, we absolutely have it as one of what we call our stories um, to do exactly, exactly what you're describing, which is what we call the relay scenario, yeah. where I want to be able to send data via someone who's not completely trusted. Yeah. Um, and so, and, and we, we even know how we're going to do that because Pouch has a really cool feature that a guy named Nolan Lawson did where we can very easily stream out a bunch of content to a file. And so I can, I can take the database entries, like your journal files, your pictures, whatever. Yeah. I can stream them out. I can encrypt Oh yeah, photos them. would have been an even better example. Right. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, I'm like, photos, say photos. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Uh, sorry. I was, cl- I, my, it was a good scenario though, right? But I just, I, you know, had I well, said photos, it would have been perfect. We actually have exactly these kinds of scenarios for for you know more the industrial sites but they have exactly these problems where they've collected a bunch of data they're they're in the middle of nowhere they're maintaining literally i mean these are real scenarios that like you know you're you're working on um a power pylon in the middle of nowhere and you send out a a team and they have all of the records on the history of that pylon and the maintenance records and a bunch of information and they're there to go fix it and then it turns out that you're out in the middle of nowhere and it's more than one team can handle so they radio back in they're like dude we need another team right and they may dispatch them from wherever they may never be near an internet connection they don't have any of that data and so they can show up pretty clever yeah and then they get it and they get everything right and it's all there and all the up to minute information etc and if there's equipment on the pylon that's like recording data, temperature information, et cetera. They can live sync that right then and there, and they can do it all in a fully authenticated way so that yeah. nobody can come in and sort of mess with what they're not supposed to mess with. 
Yeah, you don't want the the car like driving by to be like, oh, what's this? What's this? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So you need authentication, you need authorization, you need encryption, and so we we, we provide um, all of those features as part of the framework. But but honestly, I mean, for me, a lot of that is kind of um, it's really I always keep the focus on on the web part that you know everything we're doing is around HTTP. Um, the couch protocol is an HTTP based protocol and the technologies that we use to build this about how you put the web into a device and right now we're starting with um android and ios um and and we really wanted to use web technologies to build this thing and so that's why for example one of the first things we had to figure out to do is we're like well okay i mean what is the core web programming technology well obviously it's html and javascript and css right it's what everything's built on um so if you're going to put an http server into a phone or into a, a raspberry pi or whatever it is um kind of the obvious language that you'd want to use to program and control that server would be javascript right and if you're going to use javascript um and it's doing http server well <laughs> That's kind of a solved problem, right? I think yeah. we know the answer to that one. Oh yeah, that's Node. But we really had a problem that um, there. Sorry, I'm looking at a World War II airplane that's flying over. That's really cool. Um, <laughs> Should have gotten the camera out fast enough to see it. I'm not used to seeing World War II fi- uh, bomber planes flying over. Yeah. Um, but but we we're like, okay, this has to be this has to be Node, right? This has to be Node. Like we we yep. like it just it did, and and we got really lucky, and then we got unlucky. Um, we found <laughs> this open source project called JX Core, and they have this amazing ability to run on Android and iOS and everything you've ever heard of, right up until the company behind it went out of business. Um, <laughs> Nubista. Uh, we love them though. We actually hired uh, their 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 CTO slash lead dev slash the guy who wrote it all. Actually now works for Microsoft, so that's cool. Cool. Um, Hey, hey, we'll say shout out to Oz. Um, and so they really did this amazing thing where we can now just embed Node right on the phone. And it is full Node, like NPM, the whole nine yards. Yeah, um, that's awesome. And then we're like, well, okay, if we're really this webby thing and you're building something for the phone, right? Um, I should be able to do my UI with HTML and JavaScript and CSS. And, and you got to think about these as separately, right? Because there's a service, there's Node. Hi, Node, he's over here. Completely over there, you need some kind of UI. And um, we're like, well, okay, then that's kind of obvious, right? That should be Cordova. Mm-hmm. If you're going to build an app and it's going to be based on HTML and JavaScript and CSS, it's a web view, use Cordova. So that's why we built the whole thing as a Cordova plugin. So you can take a Node server and just drop it into an Android or iOS Cordova app and you're off to the races. Um, and so really it is all of those web technologies with a bunch of extra stuff we had to, like, how do you do discovery? Yeah. And, and more importantly, how do you do it? And this one has really been, was an interesting fight. It's like, how do you do it without it looking like something out of a, you know, a George Orwell book, right? I mean, how do you do it so that you're, you're not, I mean, I don't want my phone when I'm at the mall going, I'm your own, I'm your own, I'm your own, you know what I mean? That would suck. And so we did a bunch of work and a bunch of crypto stuff to basically, make it possible for two phones to find each other in a way that um, you're not announcing your name in a way that anyone other than the person you're looking for okay. is going to be able to understand. Yeah. Um, and so we've, we've spent a lot of time and energy kind of figuring out how do you how do, you do privacy-sensitive mm-hmm. discovery? 
Um, and then we had some more fun around like, okay, now I found you. How do I establish a connection? And again, remember I said like everything was sort of available off the shelf. JX Core was available off the shelf. Cordova was available off the shelf. PouchDB, which is what we use for all the syncing and such, the, the, impl the implementation of CouchDB it's in JavaScript, it is a really well-established project. It's been around forever. It's really awesome. Um, again, available off the shelf. And so when we wanted to, the, the discovery stuff, we kind of had to invent ourselves because there just wasn't a shelf we could find that had stuff on it. Um, but uh, when we, for example, establish a connection and we want it to be secure we're using tls right no no magical voodoo just use yep. the stuff that's there now admittedly we do use it in a slightly weird way which is we use something called pre-shared keys um which essentially is symmetric encryption over tls um and we can do that because uh we do all of the crypto handshakes during the discovery process and we can use that to generate the key whatever gory details nobody cares about but me. <laughs> it's um, secure is the short it's version. really secure yeah yeah uh, but but my point is we're constantly able to just take i mean so much of the existing stuff and just put it together so this was yeah. all always kind of possible it's just nobody did i think the only really major work we had to do and i really am gonna it, it's been deeply painful um was enabling the radios mm -hmm. it is like that pit has no bottom i remember we, we started <laughs> off um we were using wi-fi direct and for those who don't know, Wi-Fi Direct's a flavor of Wi-Fi. It's been around forever. I mean, forever and ever and ever. It's been supported in Android since like day one. And what it lets you do is you can have your normal Wi-Fi connection. You're connected to the internet. It's all cool. Separately from that, you can make individual Wi-Fi connections directly to other devices. This was literally intended to be used. Yeah, it's not like a hotspot client. It's like these two things want to talk to each other. Right. And like the, and the Roku remote actually uses Wi-Fi, yes, for example. And my woke, actually, it's funny. I can see it when I'm doing scans and stuff. Uh, yeah. And then, and then actually you, it also, it, what's interesting is on the Roku three and I think the four, there's a headphone jack on the remote, right? So, so not only like every time you push a button, you're sending signals to that, but then you're also getting them back and it works wonderfully. Like you yes. don't, it's not like you have to pair the remote with like your hotspot and nope. like you push a button and it just magically works and you get the audio back through that headphone jack. And the only reason that works is because Roku controls both the client and the server in this case. Yeah. What we found was that Wi-Fi Direct, which would have been perfect for us, had two killer... I mean, just to show you the kind of pains that we've been going through. I don't know yeah. if your, your audience likes tech gore, but, <laughs> tech but gore. I mean, the first thing we ran into was that there is a requirement in the Wi-Fi Direct spec that Google honors that says anytime you have a Wi-Fi Direct connection, you're supposed to get the user's permission. Like, imagine a P2P system where you're walking through your <laughs> office and your phone's going bzz, 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 every five seconds because it right, found right. someone and it needs your permission to connect. Hey, I like, want to do something useful. Do you mind? Want to do yeah, something exactly. useful. Do you mind? <laughs> you take me out of your pocket and say, I mean, it's just like, like you can't possibly be yeah. serious. So, so that killed that part of Wi-Fi Direct, but we were still trying to use it for discovery. That's why we had to use Bluetooth um, for moving data, even though it's like, you know, 10 times slower, literally, because Bluetooth doesn't have that requirement of putting in the, the approval, but Bluetooth discovery wouldn't work as too much power and there's a lot of other problems with it. So we wanted to use Wi-Fi Direct for discovery and we, we spent six months, six months banging our head against this thing until finally, and we're having all these weird problems and failures and the stack would stop working and we'd have to reboot the phones. I mean, it was just bizarre. And finally, I, I, I talked with some people who had been part of the um, standards committee that had created Wi-Fi Direct. And they're like, oh yeah, nobody ever really did any interrupt testing for it. <laughs> Ah! <laughs> Congratulations, so, you get to be the tester. Exactly. And we had we gave up. We yeah. gave up. We had to. It didn't work. I mean, yeah. literally, like if you had two phones from the same manufacturers, sometimes that might work. 
<laughs> except when it like didn't. So we had to give up, and what we ended up we ended up switching to BLE Bluetooth Low Energy, which was which sucked because we needed to use something called BLE Peripheral Mode, and only really modern phones support that. It's basically I think Bluetooth 4.2. So you need a phone that's probably about no more than maybe three years old. If it's older <laughs> than that, you don't have it, right? Yeah. So we just wrote off like a huge chunk of phones in the world because we we, we had to switch with, because without peripheral mode, we couldn't do discovery in any sane way. Um, and so that was really painful, but we, we just didn't have a choice because Wi-Fi Direct literally doesn't work. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And then even then, and then Google, for example, they had this big announcement when they did Marshmallow. They're like, it's a security hole that you can find the address of your Bluetooth transmitter because people can use that to, to um, monitor you, which is sort of true, um, except we need that address in order to be able to do connections over Bluetooth. And we're like, okay, are we done? And we did this whole work effort where we created this thing called bro mode. Um, like, can you help a brother out was where it came from. And basically, <laughs> we, I mean, you just look at the crap we have to do. It's like we had to have one phone discover another phone and the other phone would tell the first phone what its address was because when you're in discovery, you can see other devices addresses yeah so, I mean, you just look at this are you serious? is that where the, is that like where the spy sits next to the other one and you know they're just like the goose flies at midnight <laughs> it's it, literally and, and there's the security issues i mean it's just it's it's been yeah. and even then like i i was running testing uh, on the handsets i have at home and one of the handsets i don't know if i should name the guilty party like anytime i even use bluetooth in any interesting way it just crashes not the whole handset the app the app just okay well well i think we're i think we're scaring people you're on okay. so i think we should move on <laughs> so <laughs> So, so yeah, it's you been know, kind of hard. <laughs> <laughs> Infragistics, ultimate UX and UI tools, and enterprise mobility solutions, SharePlus and Report Plus, enable high-performance apps on any device, faster data insights, simplified collaboration, and market-leading security, all backed by comprehensive support. With Infragistics Ultimate UX and UI Development Toolkit, you can ensure mission-critical applications delivering a superior user experience on the desktop, web, and native device environments for iOS and Android. With the latest BI tools, wow your users with dashboards providing the data insights that they need when and where they need it, all at a low total cost of ownership. Try it today. Download a free trial at infragistics.com and follow them for the latest updates in UX and UI development, reporting, and collaboration at Infragistics on Twitter. And remember, each week, if we pick your comment on the show, you will get a free copy of Infragistics Ultimate UX and UI Toolset. So the question that I was going to ask was, is this cross-platform? But Cordova obviously gives us that iOS, Android, and Windows Phone capabilities there. But, you know, one of the things that, you know, seems really useful for this project is IoT. So how does Cordova help bring Tali to IoT? Well, well, so eventually... There's really, honestly, two different answers. I mean, the answer I kind of hope for is if you're using something like Windows IoT... um, it ha- it's supposed to have a- eventually, I think, um, cor- you know, some sort of Cordova support, just because it's a universal Windows platform, right? And, and UWP. And that's what I was hoping, because I've been doing a lot of UWP IoT work. So right. it, it, it should get it for free. Right. Now, free has a caveat, right? If you're using mm-hmm. Wi-Fi, um, we fully support lo- purely local Wi-Fi. In other words, we, you know, if you're on the internet, great, we'll use the internet. But my point is that if you even just have a Wi-Fi hub ho- hooked in, we can do discovery over that. But if you're using, let's say, Bluetooth, 
um, you know, you've got a Raspberry Pi and you put in the Bluetooth dongle. We just haven't written the code to call the Windows APIs that would allow us to connect in the Bluetooth trans uh, channel the way we have written that code on Android. But fundamentally, it works. I mean, we know where the code would go. It's just a question of, you know, actually getting a chance to to write that code. And so, you know, for a lot of these scenarios, if you if you are using any kind of Wi-Fi infrastructure, and including just having the IoT device itself, you know, using Wi-Fi, um, acting as a hotspot, um, it, you actually could just take the code and run it there now. Um, but I mean, longer run, we're thinking about, for example, how do you get on the desktop? Um, and, and in the same way that we think of IoT, and you know, we want to, you don't, if, if you're headless on an IoT, then it's even easier. Just go run Node and have a nice day, right? We are Node. No, no caveats to that statement. Yeah. Um, but if you want a UI and we want to use sort of the the web front end, the question is, do you do you convince Cordova to run on the desktop, which I really wish they would do? Um, but because of the community, they're mostly mobile people. I, I get the impression that's not a priority. Um, but or you know, do you use something like Electron? Um, you know, and and there there are real issues there because right now for our hardware to to, to enable things like Bluetooth, we are really using the, uh, local native code. And um, JX Core's interfaces are kind of different than the interfaces on, say, Node 3 or Node 6. Um, and so, so we'd have to kind of figure that out. But fundamentally, yeah, it, it should really work everywhere. And it's just a question of kind of having the time. But if you're just doing Wi-Fi, we already work because it is just Node code. Just take the NPM, slap it on there, and off you go to the races. Okay. And then, yeah, so you're, you're talking about a lot of different protocols. So I guess one of the questions we had, too, was around, like, is that is that completely hidden from me? Do I do I even have to think about that? Kind of what does that code look like? I mean, am I am I at the level where I'm just saying, hey, I want to, I you know, I have this data. Please, please get it other places. I mean, what at what level am I sort of operating as a developer using this? So the answer is yeah, is as usual is yes and no. So for most <laughs> of your code, the way you write your code, and you can see this, like our big partner is a company called uh, Rockwell Automation, and they're building the next generation infrastructure on top of us, and it's something called Project Stanton. And so they're writing that code, and so we can see sort of how they are doing it, um, how they're using us. And really, most of your code, what it's doing is it's talking to the pouch server locally. You've got Node running on the device, so literally from your web view, you're opening a, a local host connection and talking directly to that server that's on the device, and that's just PouchDB. It's just using the PouchDB you know, API. Oh, I gotcha, I gotcha. And, cool. and life is good. Now, you knew there was, an, there was a comma in there. There was a but. No, let's just move on. Okay, <laughs> no, no, we're done. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yep, go, that's go it. Yeah, the, the tricky part is that, that we, especially in the new architecture we're working on now that we want to release um, hopefully sooner rather than later, um, we have this thing called the Tali policy. And, and the idea is that um, if I discover five people, which one should I talk to? If I discover someone over Bluetooth uh, and Wi-Fi simultaneously, how do I pick who the priority is? Yeah. If I'm replicating with Joe and Jane shows up, is Jane more important and now I want to kill them? Because you know you have limited bandwidth. If you try to do too yeah. many things at once, you'll kill it. Like There's all these sort of policy questions that we're not going to get involved with. And the way we deal with them is that whenever we discover someone, um, we, we, send, we create this thing called an action and we send it to this Tali pool, which is a plugin that the developer who's using us has to provide. And we say, hey, we just discover this person. When do you want to schedule a replication with them? Hey, this replication's underway, but by the way, this other person showed up and they want to replicate. You know, do you want to do something about that? And so we kind of push that off onto the developer because they're the only one who knows what their priorities are. We don't. And so you do need to write that. But my guess is that once we get a few apps on this platform, we're going to end up with sort of standard pool 
implementations that it's just kind of like, yeah, this one's good enough for, you know, if you're doing a photo type app or if you're doing a chat app or whatever it is you're doing that there's different policies that make sense. Like if I'm doing a chat app, mm -hmm. connect everybody. The amount of data I'm moving is so small that oh, yeah, there's no point. They're a little know, bit but, different than video. But, but don't laugh, yeah. right? We've got people who are doing things like taking videos of, of broken equipment and sending that around so other people can view it and go, oh, yeah, that's bearing three you need to replace. You know what I mean? And yeah. so that now you really want to be able to, to, to say, no, 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 one replication at a time because otherwise no one will finish, you know, because Bluetooth isn't exactly super fast. Mm -hmm. um, so that code does have to be written, but my hope is that we're going to find out that there's like two or three kind of common patterns and we can just provide those as, as sort of default available. Okay. So how do how do issues like data consistency and uh, data collision problems get solved? You know, is that something that happens more natively inside Tally, or is that another thing we have to you know be defensively coding for? So first of all, it's an eventually consistent system, right? And anyone, anytime you hear that, you should get scared. I'm gonna be, I always tell it means, people it means never consistent, right? Exactly. <laughs> it, it, you know, I always tell people you never do eventual consistency unless you absolutely have no choice. Right, because no sane person wants to deal with a low consistency system. It sucks. All sorts of things can happen that are impossible in a highly consistent system. That's why the cloud is a wonderful thing, um, because I can afford to be highly consistent in the cloud. But if you're going to have this sort of offline, online, opportunistic connectivity, yeah. sorry, buddy, you're dealing with eventual consistency. Now, that all having been said, um, in the worst case, then we'll go to the better case. In the worst case, when there is a conflict, for example, I edited the file, you edited the file, we did that when we couldn't see each other, and now we're syncing, and it's like, wait, my edit and your edit are conflicting. Um, all Pouch is going to do is just point it out. They're going to say, yep, there's a conflict. What do you want to do about it? Twi you know, twiddle the thumbs. They can't, they, they can't solve well, it. Well, so, so technically, I mean, don't you get like two records in there? I mean, is that how it exposes that then? It just said yeah. like, ah, here's one version, here's another one. I have both. Good luck. It literally, you're right. It records them both and it literally says to you, you know, you ask, you say, tell me about uh, collisions. Because if you don't say, tell me yeah. about collisions, it'll just pick one. Yeah. Which can be really bizarre. Um, um, but it does it in a... In a yeah, in that's a when you really run into problems. If, it, yes. if, it's, if it's saying like, well, this is the latest one I heard, so it must be right. <laughs> well, but it's actually interesting because... Um, we did go through a lot of scenarios, um, and it turns out, especially if there's a human involved, that in most scenarios, if you pick the last update, that's often correct. Not always. There's plenty of counter, I mean, billions of counter oh, yeah, examples yeah, yeah. I can give you, but definitely one of the things that's on our plan is to provide people with a sort of default plugin that will just do conflict resolution using last update wins, and it turns out there's lots of scenarios where that is the right choice. But there are scenarios where it's not, and when it's not, your code absolutely has to be ready to deal with that. But what I will also say that's been interesting in sort of our experience working with Rockwell and some other folks is that we've always been able to structure their usage of storage so that you don't get conflicts. It's really interesting that there's like these ways that you can think about, like if you're doing, let's say, like a chat session, for example, you know, if I model the chat as this is a record and it's going to point at what it what it knew about when it was created, like what were the chat entries I saw, and then post that, there's really no way to have a conflict. Every record yeah. has a unique ID. The IDs aren't yeah. going to collide. Um, and so, yeah, you again, can't have it, it's not like they can think that the chat was a totally different chat. Right. And so we again and again and again find that when we sort of work through the cut with customers through these scenarios that in just about every case, we've been able to structure the data so that you really just don't ever have conflicts. I mean, unless you literally want to do something like I have a document and we're both going to simultaneously edit that document. Yes, 
It's it's going to yeah. be conflicts all the way down. Or if in the ch- if in the chat, I mean, if the messages were editable in the chat, then I would I would think you'd have it. You could potentially have issues then. No, actually not. It depends how you do the editing. But if you do the editing, um, I guess it's always the same. Well, I guess if you what if you allowed multiple editors? I guess yeah. Ah, now that yeah, then yeah, okay. Because if it's the same person, you're right. Then you have a timestamp. It's like well, they made this edit plus they made this one. Well, it's pretty yeah. obvious which is the right one. Obvious that last update wins, right? Yeah. Whereas if I can edit your comment, yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's then, bad. and I make an edit at the same time. Yeah, you're totally right. So don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a horrible, horrible chat application. Exactly. <laughs> you can make other people say things. Yeah, that's that's awesome though. I never thought about that. That you know, we we always talk about this in in like a purely technical sense, but really, you have to layer in like just like what is the actual thing that you're trying to do here because that is totally going to change. You know, whether or not this is even a problem. Yeah, I mean, think about whether it's tweeting, you know, microblogging or normal yeah. blogging or photo sharing. Like, you go through all these different scenarios, and they're basically all just feeds. Yeah. They're basically append only. Updates can be modeled as an append that just points to something by, by yeah. you know, previous. And so you don't end up with, with conflicts in those scenarios. Again, I'm not saying there aren't scenarios where we're going to have conflicts. They're, yeah. they're going to exist. Yeah, but... Don't write into the show with <laughs> examples. Like, they, we yeah. know they exist. <laughs> we know they exist, but... Yeah. It's just been really interesting to see how many real-world scenarios we go through where it just doesn't come up. If you think carefully about how to structure the data, you, you don't end up with conflicts. It's actually yeah. really cool. So does this require me to have a cloud backend, or can this be completely peer-to-peer, never touching the cloud? It's completely peer-to-peer. And if you're really peer-to-peer, then the cloud is just another peer. And if mm-hmm. that peer doesn't exist at all, fine. Yeah. There is no requirement for any – I mean, this was this was for me, I mean, That's as the cool. kind of the person driving this. I'm like, there will be no centralized anything, period, end okay. of sentence, non-negotiable. Yeah. Um, and so whether it's like your identity, which is literally a public key that you generate, um, whether it's the syncing, which is all point-to-point, um, there is no centralized anything. So you do not need a cloud. Now, every single time if with every single customer we've talked to the first thing they're doing is taking when, when the internet connection shows up is yeah. taking everything they have and shoving it straight <laughs> to their cloud because they want to yeah. analyze it and manage yeah. it and blah 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 which is great but because well, that has its own value add right exactly but for me the way i put it um is you should be using the cloud because it's adding value not because you don't have a choice right absolutely so I was looking at the site here, just backing up to the previous conversation. There was a really you know, succinct point that is on the site, just talking about data consistency and all that. Mm-hmm. It says, most users are expected to have multiple devices, and it's unacceptable when the state isn't available on their other devices. Right. So, you know, I just thought it was, you know, it was very clear there that, you know, all those points you brought out, the eventual consistency can get wonky, but we should be able to solve this. Well, especially when it's a user's own device. This is what we call the device mesh. And honestly, we haven't gotten there yet. We're just trying to get to the point where like one device will work. Um, But if you think about this, what this really comes into is that if I have, let's say, my laptop and my tablet and my phone and blah, 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 um, the feature we want to add eventually is that we will recognize those as being you. We'll automatically sync all your data. There's a lot of hard problems, by the way, hiding underneath there. Like, you know, I have um, Lightroom on my machine. Um, It has a lot of photos in it. Do I want to sync all of those with my phone? Um, Probably not. So there's some policy and other issues there that you have to think about. Um, But fundamentally, when you do have a conflict, you know, I edit something on my my PC and I just wasn't thinking about it. And it turns out I had edited on my phone, but my phone had the power off or was, you know, powering up when that was happening. And then I do something on the phone and now they're conflicting. Um, Typically, last update win actually works pretty well in those cases because you have a lock token. It's called the human. 
right? Mm-hmm. Um, now, it can still blow up in your face. Maybe you made a change and then you changed your mind and you forgot about the first. I mean, I can come up with scenarios where it won't always work, but, but mostly it, it, we think it will work. But that's a future feature to be able to just and, and again, it's not that you couldn't do that right now. You can. You can just have that. You can program the devices to all sync to each other. But we want to make that a thing where, like, yeah. we say, tell me that this is your device, and because you told me you trust it, I will automatically do a bunch of cool things for you. Makes sense. Anything else you wanted to mention? Um, any, you know, I don't know if you want um, people to to start you know, going out there and trying to use this thing, you know, like, I don't, <laughs> so I don't so, know, kind of, kind of where we at, you know, what, what else last, we talk about? Last December, we released our first sort of purely hack together, please, for the love of God, don't do anything with it, proof of concept, just to show you could do all this. Yeah. You could run Node, you could use the radios, you could, you know, do the sync and that it all kind of worked. And so we had that, and that's all up on, on our site, it's all up on GitHub. Um, now we are finishing our next release of the prototype. I'm not quite sure it'll be done because of we're, we're bringing new resources on and it's just taking a little bit, um, but hopefully fairly soon. And that it completely rewrote the code from scratch based on what we learned. Um, we have tests. Uh, <laughs> and it's in much, 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 much better shape. So I, I would really wait until we do the release of the next prototype. Okay. Um, which, as you can imagine, we'll be tweeting and blogging and posting like crazy about. Um, and once that's up, then you really have uh, something that I think you can go and start to play with. It's still a prototype. I don't wouldn't ship it, but it's in a state where if you're really interested in this technology, you totally should absolutely go grab it okay. and and start experimenting. Is there a Twitter feed that they should follow specifically? Yep, yep. We have. Um, if you go to Twitter, we have a Tali Project um, at Tali Project. Okay. T h a l i p r o. Um, J-E-C-T, Tali Project, and so, uh, well, one word, and we are, we're pretty good about making announcements and, you know, keeping things there. Our blog also automatically cross-posts um, to there, um, but those blog articles are meant for, like, they're usually pretty seriously scary technical. <laughs> <laughs> okay, very cool. Uh, okay, so big surprise this week. I have an Azure pick of the week. Um, I have been delinquent. That is a surprise. I have been delinquent on that for 30 episodes or so. <laughs> uh, so this week, I want to talk about uh, Azure IoT Hub and a new feature, which is uploading files uh, through IoT Hub. And I'm waiting for the post to load here. But this was from uh, Nicole Birdie. So that was a friend of the show. She's been on before. She was on here talking about um, IoT Hub and uh, an IoT suite. So this was a this was a, a pretty commonly requested feature. So being, you know, you have things, you know, machines that are that actually have like a file of information uh, that you know it's basically like a CSV with data or something like that. And uh, partners and customers of of IoT Hub didn't want to like chop up that data only to have to reassemble it on the other side. So now you can uh there's a feature in here where you can uh get a SaaS token and then basically upload that file which is uh which is a cool feature. So I wanted to promote that. That's really excellent because I I'm about to do that code right now. So if I don't have to write that myself, that's amazing. Okay. Yep. Well, it just got added. So what do you have for the dev tip of the week, Carl? So I have two. Uh, the first one is Snippet Essentials. Uh, these are just, I think, a couple hundred snippets. Like if you want to add uh, with this extension, if you want to just type in a, a few small characters and have that explode out to uh, being part of your code, uh, check it out. Pretty much anything you would r- write that's kind of boilerplate C Sharp is, is in there. Wow. There's over 700 in here. That's really <laughs> cool. <laughs> uh, the other one is, uh, you know, is more of a generic tip, 
But uh, a lot of times we want to take like screen captures of a small video of what's on our desktop. And I know we've had a few solutions in the past, but there's actually one that's built into Windows 10 now. Yep. And and there's a really cool blog article. I'm going to read and just uh, mention the title of it. It's called, I finally finished this awesome game called Photoshop. Let me send you a video. And really what's this pointing out is Windows 10 has a feature for games to record your game footage. But all you have to do is lie. Uh, you type the WinG, it brings up the game bar, and all you have to say is, yep, it's a game, and then you can record anything. Now, see, now this totally confuses me. So I've used this. This thing works amazingly well. Uh, but I'm totally confused because the fact that it was like focused on games initially, I thought there was some reason that I was just unaware of that it was just targeting games uh, and that, that, you know, basically it was like, you know, I don't know, some kind of licensing deal that says like, you know, just don't, you can't use this for anything else. Uh, but now this is a post from Microsoft saying, yeah, use it for everything. So now we have a game recorder that can actually record anything. So I don't know. It, it records everything. It's pretty awesome. Um, yeah. I mean, it's just windows G and it just, it pops up. So try it right now. Uh, except you don't do that right now. Your own, uh, <laughs> uh, terminal and VS code. Oh, so this was actually mine. So I have actually have, uh, two tips for the price of one. So Three? this, this is in the, well, my, I, I had two of them. Oh. So the, uh, so the new version of, uh, VS code, the, basically the, the may release, uh, version 1.2, whenever you update to that, has an integrated terminal window. So this works on Windows. Oh, OS oh it's so rock. Yeah, I assume it works on Linux as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just a terminal window built right in there. So you don't have to do like this whole goofy window management thing because, you know, I don't always want my terminal to be, you know, like as high as my, as tall as my window or as wide don't, or whatever. Dude, don't laugh. Like I was, I, we use, I use IntelliJ a lot. And one of the things that was keeping me there was that it has the integrated <laughs> terminal and that is so, when you're doing node stuff, yeah. you're starting to stop and you're running. Yeah. It's huge. And so when I, when I saw they added it, I'm like, yes. Yeah. And actually now that I think about it too, I, I wonder, I think you can only open one. Like, I guess my next feature request is like, let me open a whole bunch and then right. let me sort of play. Like, I, I almost want my, my, at this point, I want my editor to be the, you know, my window manager as well. That way I can just make it full screen and just live in the editor. And then, well, and then what IntelliJ does, by the way. Yeah. Open up multiple. Well, and I mean, apps. I guess Visual Studio is, is sort of the same way as well, where, I mean, it, the, the window management is, is pretty complex in there. Yeah. Uh, okay. So there's a game that we play your own called, uh -oh. you gotta be kidding me. It's a game for kids, but we can play it. Right. So what you gotta do, all you have to do is pick a number between one and four inclusive. Okay. How about three, three. Okay. Uh, I think we did this one, but it's okay. We'll do it again. Would you rather go to a friend to a friend's family? Would you go with a friend's family to a fancy restaurant for dinner and keep string beans hanging out of your nose for the whole evening or take your shoes off and set them on the table next to the food for the entire night? <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm going to go with the string beans, actually. <laughs> so you're shoes on the table is just, you can pretend like you didn't know about the string beans, but the shoes thing, <laughs> clearly you, <laughs> you intended that. I'm just, I'm picking your own like, what? What is there like a uh, hitch or something? What, what, what? No, that's, everything's normal. Uh, yeah, I don't know what the problem is. Okay, <laughs> okay, if that's your answer. Okay, Carl, pick a number. I'll take number four. Number four. Um, I think we just had this one, so I'm crossing that out. I'm gonna get you. Uh, you're getting a new card, Carl. I'm gonna get a fresh one. Yeah, fresh card. Would you rather be knocked down by accident by a man who 
a man weighing 300 pounds who is jogging. I don't know why his gender matters. Uh, so a person <laughs> weighing 300 pounds who is jogging or by a 70 pound person riding on a bicycle. I'd say the 70 pound person on a bicycle. That's just less mass. <laughs> well, but you're forgetting acceleration. I, I, I don't think man. there's yeah. enough acceleration. They'd have to be going. Doesn't that, mul- doesn't that multiply? Yeah, it multiplies. Yeah. yeah. So a person walking is what? Like four, let's say four miles an hour. Right. And so the, bike could easily be 20. Yeah, 20. So 4X, so 70 so, times 4. So, well, you're at 280. It's still less yeah, than 300. Yeah. You're about, yeah. Carl okay. had it right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the math has, has proven that Carl knows what he's talking about. So. It job, happens Carl. occasionally. Yeah, this is the first time we've been able to mathematically prove that you picked the right answer. <laughs> we've just been assuming you pick, pick the wrong answer every time. It's science. <laughs> science. I'll have to put that in the video like, bing, I don't know, some kind of thing. <laughs> um, no, I'm too lazy to do that. Just imagine it. Um, <laughs> so, Yaron, where can uh, where can people learn more about this project and about you? So, for the project, go to tollyproject.org. Okay, and all one word. And then for me, you can go to golan.org. Apparently, I like orgs. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and Carl, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer. Okay, and you can find me at ytechie.com or on Twitter at twitter.com slash ytechie. So, Yaron, thank you so much for coming on here and pleasure. talking to us about Tali and peer-to-peer coolness. Total pleasure. Thanks a lot, folks. <laughs>